News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here at the Pete Callender Show. That's how I got the gig. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And you can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Um, and remember, get the podcast. It's free at wbt.com as well. Uh, and it comes right to your smartphone or tablet. Three podcasts a day, one for each hour. All righty. Congressman Madison Cawthorn, he went on to a podcast the other day called the Warrior Poet Podcast. And uh, that's where this exchange comes from. You're with House it's about of to get Cards. serious. Yes, I am. With uh, Kevin Spacey and I forget who else uh, was in it. Uh, but anyway. Really well done show. Very- They're talking about the show House of Cards. Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright. Okay. Very well done Very show. Very well done show. But right. it's so dirty, and it was about this uh, congressman uh, who was Kevin Spacey, who was, I think it was minority or majority whip. Yep. What was it? Yeah. And so anyway, very, very powerful guy. And it was just kind of like his secret life of all this corruption and power and money and perversion. And it was just dirty. How much, in your opinion, because you're, you've been behind the veil, is this a fictitious show? Or is this more closer to like a documentary? Is, is it that bad? So I heard a former president that we had in the 90s was asked a question about this. What? And he gave an answer that I thought was so true. And he said, the only thing that's not accurate in that show is that you could never get a piece of legislation about, uh, about education passed that quickly. And everything else is good? Aside <laughs> from that, I mean... The sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes, you should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Yeah. Uh, and then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. Yeah. Uh, or, or the fact that, you know, there's some of the people that are leading on the movement to try and remove you know, addiction in our country. And then you watch them do, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, wow, this is, this is wild. Okay. I'm going to read to you a story from U.S. News and World Report. February 14th, 2014. So, what, almost eight years? Over eight years ago. Actress Robin Wright, who played the first lady of uh, Kevin Spacey, the, the wife of Kevin Spacey in the, in the show House of Cards. Actress Robin Wright's view of Washington is just as sinister as the character she plays on the Netflix series House of Cards, which had its second season debut on Friday. Quote, Tell me what is implausible in the evil scheming of Francis Underwood. She asked Capital File Editor-in-Chief Elizabeth Thorpe in an interview for the magazine's spring issue. The biggest shocker of last season, and this is a spoiler, so heads up everybody if you haven't seen the first season, was the death of actor Corey Stoll's character, Representative Peter Russo, at the hands of Kevin Spacey's maniacal Frank Underwood, a Democratic congressman from South Carolina. Corey's death, Robin Wright said, a little too mafia. She said official Washington thought the show, though, was spot on. Quote, We spoke to a senior person in the Obama administration at the White House Correspondents' Dinner last spring, and he said 
Everything is accurate in this show, except you would never get an education bill passed that fast. That's the story. That was the quote from Robin Wright to U.S. News and World Report's um, Capital File. And it was a quote from an Obama administration official because the House of Cards was not on the air in the 90s. Again, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what he was talking about. His quote, again, he says, you realize, oh, wait, I got ahead of it. Um, young guy in Washington. And there was a, yeah, president in the 90s that tells, uh, th- that tells this story. That's not his story, though. I heard a former president that we had in the 90s was asked the question about this. All right, so he heard that. So that's not true. He heard a former president was asked about that? No, this was an Obama, unless there are multiple stories saying the same thing. I don't think that's the case, though. And he gave an answer that I thought was so true. And he said, the only thing that's not accurate in that show is that you could never get a piece of legislation about, uh, about education passed that quickly. See what I mean? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work because he's talking about a president from the 90s, but the show got on the air in, like, 2012. Does that mean all of the other stuff that he's talking about is inaccurate? I, I, I do not know. And everything else is good. Uh, aside <laughs> from that, I mean, the sexual perversion that goes on in Washington, I mean, it, being kind of a young guy in Washington with the average age of probably 60 or 70, and I look at all these people, a lot of them that I, you know, I've looked up to through my life, I've always paid attention to politics, guys, that, you know, it, then all of a sudden you get invited to, like, well, hey, we're going to have kind of a, a, a sexual get-together at one of our homes. You should come. And I'm like, what, what, what did you just ask me to come to? Hey, who, who are these people that you looked up to all these years? Are they Democrats? Probably not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure you thought this through. But here's another part. Same U.S. News and World Report story from 2014. Uh, Robin Wright was asked about the reporters. Are they in real life sleeping with members of Congress in order to get scoops? Robin Wright says, quote, oh, yeah, D.C. is more corrupt than Hollywood. It really is. It's more sleazy than Hollywood. How much infidelity goes on, said the actress who lives in New York City and works on the series in Baltimore. I almost get the sense that This is the story he's talking about. This interview, this story with Robin Wright, because this made the rounds. I remember that when I heard Cawthorn's comments, I remembered about the education bill. I said, I've heard this story before. And I went looking for it. And I remember, I I did not remember Robin Wright's name. So I had to look up who's Forrest Gump's Jenny girlfriend. And then I found out, okay, Robin Wright. And then I did that search and boom, there it is. Also quoted in the piece, Lindsey Graham, who said the only unrealistic thing about House of Cards is a Democrat representing Gaffney, South Carolina. And that is so true. That is so true. Also true. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender Show. 
craziest stories today. Crazy stories. So Foo Fighters drummer, he dies in Bogota, Colombia. Duke and UNC, they're going to meet for the first time in the Final Four, which is just kind of crazy to me that they've been playing in the NCAA tournaments for all these years. Like they've met almost 300 times and they've never been in the Final Four. That was kind of crazy. Madison Cawthorn talking about the Coke and the orgies that apparently Republicans are inviting him to up in D.C. And then, of course, the Will Smith slapgate. Will slapping Chris Rock, the comedian, at the uh, Oscars last night. All of these are crazy stories to deal with today. Also, President Joe Biden. Oh, that's it. Yeah, just crazy. No, I kid. I kid the president. President Biden made an embarrassing gaffe, according to Carlos Garcia at TheBlaze.com, whilst he was speaking to U.S. soldiers in Poland. The White House had to hastily issue a clarification on his comments in order to avoid international provocation. There were actually two different <laughs> two different gaps, if you will, I, which I'm not even so sure these are. Well, one of them is a gap. The other one, I, I don't know. The other one is I'm not so sure. So the, the one I'm not so sure on is when he said that Putin can't remain. And it left it open and ambiguous. Like, what are you talking about? Are you... You're talking about whacking the guy? Are you talking about an internal coup, trying to encourage that? Or are you talking about Putin can't remain in Ukraine? And so there was all sorts of efforts to, you know, clean up on aisle Biden after he said that. But the first gaffe he had was he's hanging out at um, uh, in Poland. He's talking to the uh, Air Army 82nd Airborne Division uh, at Rzezauzu. So, so, something, Poland. Anyway, it's like 60 miles from the border with Ukraine. And he says, quote, and you, some, some of you have been there. You're going to see, you're going to see women, young people standing, standing in the middle of, in front of a damn tank, just saying, I'm not leaving. I'm holding my ground. They're incredible. So did you catch the part where he said, hey, soldiers, you're going to be in Ukraine. Did you catch that part? Yeah, that was where the that was where the cleanup on aisle Biden had to happen again. The president had said previously that the U.S. engagement in the war would be limited to economic sanctions against Russia and sending non-personnel military aid and economic aid to Ukraine. So we'll send you the aid. We'll send you weapons. We'll send you military stuff. We'll send you economic stuff. But we're not sending people. The presence of U.S. troops would be a significant escalation and provocation against Russia. The White House immediately released a statement clarifying that Biden's statement was made in error. Quote, the president has been clear. Let me be clear. We are not sending U.S. troops to Ukraine, and there is no change in that position, despite what the president just said. Biden followed up his comments, calling the troops the organizing principle around which the free world revolves. Oh, we also took selfies eating pizza with the troops. Pepperoni. And uh, they, not sure if he went for the ice cream cone, chocolate, chocolate chip. Um, I'm old enough to remember when a president would say stuff off the cuff and uh, the entire media ecosystem and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, uh, would just melt down 
over. Oh my gosh, he's going to get us into a war. And now they're just like, oh, he didn't mean that. They had to clarify whatever. It's kind of interesting to see how many people are, are interested in just hand-waving away these kinds of, of statements. It's just, it's astounding. Um, let me come closer to home here. This is Charlotte. Tony Messia at the Charlotte Ledger. It's a subscription. You can uh, sign up for it, by the way. Uh, it's at charlotteledger.substack.com. And uh, this is about a flipping of a vote. This was interesting. January 18th. Kristen Riley is watching on her computer as the Charlotte City Council meets, which, by the way, I will be doing that tonight, so you don't have to. You're welcome. I'm a giver. Anyway, council members were scheduled to vote on a controversial plan by a developer in a Uh, to build a five-story building with apartments and retail shops on a mostly vacant lot near uh, her house in Noda. She and some of her neighbors opposed the project. They worried it was too big, it would endanger trees, noise and traffic, all the usual complaints. In the hours before the vote, the developer, a company called Ascent Real Estate Capital, agreed to several concessions to the neighbors, eliminating plans for a pool For example, safeguarding some trees. As Riley watched online, the council voted to kick the rezoning petition back to an advisory committee, which would mean another month of the developer and neighbors wrangling over details and a chance to make the project more palatable to the neighbors, obviously. So Riley logs off, thinking, I won. I got what I wanted. They're going to delay this. They're going to send it back for more concessions. We can extract more Uh, points from the developer. Maybe we can get rid of their fitness center. Maybe we can get rid of every amenity that that developer could offer in that apartment complex. Anyway, she logs off. She She goes off to take care of her daughter to cook dinner. And then about 30 minutes later, a neighbor sends her an urgent email saying, you gotta log back in. It's changing. In disbelief, Kristen Riley logs back in and watches as one council member says, She wants to change her vote and offers no real explanation for why she wants to change her vote. The vote is then held again. And in a switch, council approves the rezoning, giving the green light to the project and ending the neighborhood's chances to further alter it. Who flipped their vote and why? Next. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete at the thepetecalendarshow.com. If you want to uh, send me an email, you can call 704-570-1110 or 1-800-WBT-1110. So, back in January, City Council's meeting, they have a rezoning request that comes up, and uh, the sh- it's for a, a vacant lot in Noda. And some of the neighbors are opposing the project. It was a five-story building with apartments and retail shops. And how dare you build housing? So um, they, uh, the neighbors were opposed, and they cited the, all the usual reasons, you know, the trees, and it's too big. It doesn't look like our neighborhood. It's going to bring more people and noise and traffic and all that. So initially, the city council takes up the Rezoning, and there were a bunch of concessions that the developer was willing to, to do, and then they were going to kick it back to committee. And it was a, a one-vote difference that sends it back to committee. 
But then something happens and the city council calls it back up. And they say, we're going to we're going to do another vote on this. So after some discussion, the council voted again, according to the article by Tony Messia at the Charlotte Ledger. And in a switch, the city council then approves the rezoning, giving the green light to the project and ending the neighborhood's chances to further alter it. And pray I don't alter it further. Anyway, it felt a little shady, said Kristen Riley, one of the neighbors who was watching and thought that she was going to have more opportunity to claw back different things and get the developer to scale it down or change the look or whatever. Because this is what neighbors generally do. They're like, I got here first, so nothing can change. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that is kind of really what happens. Anyway, so she's uh, she's wanting to know what happened. So to outsiders, the switch seemed baffling. Why would the city council all of a sudden bring this back up and do a revote? Well, it turns out. City Councilwoman Victoria Watlington needed to change her vote. Why did she vote one way and then change her vote the other way? Why did she flip-flop? Why would a city council member spontaneously ask to switch her vote 30 minutes later, long after the council moved on to other matters? The answer, according to city council members' text messages obtained by the Charlotte Ledger, under public records law, is that Watlington was distracted and misunderstood the nature of her initial vote, and she quickly came under pressure behind the scenes from a fellow council member, that being Larkin Eggleston, who represents the Noda area. He favored the project, he voted in support of it, and he urged her to flip. He told her, quote, I want to throw up right now. Three minutes after the initial vote. All right, so you get the timing of this, right? They have the presentation. They do the vote. It goes, uh, I guess it was 6-5 to send it back to the advisory group. And then Eggleston starts texting Watlington. As the council moved on to other zonings, the text messages started flying almost immediately. The developer's lawyer, Colin Brown of Alexander Ricks, wrote to Eggleston, quote, OMG. And Eggleston, because the developer wanted this final approval. They did not want to go back to the advisory group because they were going to lose more things, right? They were going to have to do more stuff. They had to build more things. It was going to be more expensive. They had to keep changing it. All of this, by the way, has an impact on the affordability of the housing. So Eggleston says, so, or sorry, so the, the lawyer for the developer shoots the uh, city councilman, Eggleston, a text message saying, OMG, oh my God. Eggleston replies, quote, now another month of my life is hell. If you needed to vote against the petition, fine, but I needed this to end tonight. That's what he sent to Watlington, to council member Watlington. Now another month of my life is hell. If you needed to vote against the uh, the petition, fine, but I needed this to end tonight. Why did he need it to end? You got neighbors that are angry, a developer trying to do a project, 
and Eggleston trying to make an at-large uh, at run for city council. He's leaving the district seat and trying to run at-large. And this is taking up too much of his time. OMG, a three-fourths vote. I am so sorry. Wadlington forgot that in order to get this thing passed, it needed three-quarters of a vote. And she was the three-quarters of the vote, She and she voted the wrong way. Eggleston then responds, it has ruined my last month. Watlington said, I was counting to six, which is what I just did. So I assumed it was a 6-5 vote. No, it wasn't. It had to be three quarters. She was counting to six, so she assumed her vote didn't matter. So that's why she went, al- uh, that's why she, she went along. But no, no. And now he says it's going to ruin my next month. You were the deciding vote to send it back. You can call for a revote if you're willing. Watlington says exactly what I was trying to avoid. Eggleston responds, you're allowed to call to reconsider. Please let this end. I want to throw up right now. I have eight votes to approve it. She just said we needed nine votes to not send it back. And Watlington says, I was reading something else. (laughs) So she was not paying attention. So then Eggleston texts Greg Phipps. One of the other votes on the council who uh, wanted to send it back to the advisory group, the advisory panel. And Eggleston says, quote, thanks. Now the next month of my life can be miserable like the last month has been. Oh, my God, dude, if you don't want the job, don't ask for the job. It's the thing that kills me about these folks. Oh, I don't want to, like. You asked for the gig. You asked to be hired, and now you're complaining that this rezoning is taking up too much of your time. And, the, and what's with this uh, this sort of poor me approach? Thanks a lot. Now I gotta do work, and it's so hard. I just don't want to do it. And my life has been ruined over the last month. And so now Phipps says, "Quote: You will benefit by giving the community one last chance on a petition that they know has the votes to pass." I expect to see elevations that will show some minimization of massing. And Eggleston says, quote, no, there will be no benefit. There will be the, we will be in the same effing place in a month from now. After the second vote, when he got his way, he then sent individual thank yous to some of his colleagues. He then texted Phipps. Eggleston says, I'm sorry for my frustration. This has been the most frustrating rezoning of this council term. And Phipps said, really? Like Steve Smith says, ice up, my brother. I love it. Phipps is great. That's Santana. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, final segment here of the program. The Charlotte City Council is tonight, later on, I'll be watching, the City Council set to once again discuss banning camping on city property. WBTV reporting that some say the city is targeting the homeless with the ordinance. It's on the agenda. There was a huge outcry. For those who work with the homeless after the city proposed making camping on city property a crime that would come with a fine and jail time. So I'm just curious, did we just allow for the camping on the public property? Is that just the way that goes? We just allow it like Occupy Wall Street? 
I used to cover them. Remember them? The Occupy Charlotte's uh, 2012. And I was working at News 14 at the time, now Spectrum News. And uh, it was nice uh, for them to be down there uh, every week. They were because they were like there, you know, every day, nonstop. But when I was working on weekends, it was always a ready-made place to go down and get comments from. So if I could find some hook to go down to the Occupy Charlotte, it was on the public property, the old city hall building. And I would just go down there, and I so I, I you know talked to a lot of these people, interviewed a lot of the folks that were part of that, had you know I thought good discussions with them about their economic ignorance. Um, and no, I'm, I'm kidding, but not really. But I I actually was one of the reporters that they trusted. I can't remember who it was that they hated. It was one of the TV outlets they hated. They were like, they don't ever talk to them, and they start turning their back on you, so they wouldn't do any interviews, and they started naming because they're look. These, they were authoritarians, as all good commies are, right? They were authoritarians. I know I'm way far afield here from the camping ordinance, but they let those kids hang out on city property for all that time. So really, what's the difference? Well, state law now that is in effect tells cities that they have to actually spell out specific criminal penalties for ordinances, which... This is uh, it's, it's kind of that uh, antiquated idea that if you're going to have laws, they shouldn't just be something you throw on the books and then never enforce, right? That's usually not a good way to make law. And just as in, for example, when the former Charlotte City Attorney Bob Hageman told the city council that, yeah, we're going to do this transgender bathroom local ordinance, and yes, we could basically bankrupt any business that we wanted to that has bathrooms or showers, but we're not going to enforce these particular portions of it. And that's not how you're supposed to do law. You don't, you don't write a law and then say, we're going to put this on the books, but never enforce it. Well, then don't put it on the books, right? Don't make a criminal statute without any criminal penalty that you, you got to have some standardization anyway. So this, uh, there are other laws in the packet I was looking at, just like 20 different ordinances that are in there. And uh, they're like fire code violations, shooting firearms within city limits, noise violations, stuff like that. So it's part of a larger uh, administrative housekeeping kind of a deal. But because it's about the homeless, sorry, houseless, I think is what they're going by right now. Not that they came up with that term. It's the, the houseless advocates, which is a weird thing to advocate for. You want people to be houseless? Your house? No, I'm kidding. The activists are for, they're advocating for the people who are houseless. Why is houseless a better term than homeless? Why? I don't understand that. Houseless, homeless. Homeless, houseless. They're the same things. Unless, of course, you're doing like, you're channeling some sort of philosophical wisdom that's seen on a trivet hanging over, you know, grandma's sink that anyone has a house, but it's truly special to have a home. Is that the difference? So you say they have a home, their home is in the, in the tent, in the, the campsite with all of the other people who are in the tent city. Is that the idea that they have a home? They just don't have a house. Maybe that's the deal. Meanwhile, Liberal U.S. cities are now changing course. The reality of the homelessness crisis, for example, in Oregon's largest city, cannot be denied. Sarah Klein at the Associated Press, writing the other day, uh, increasingly in liberal cities across the country, 
where people living in tents and public spaces have long been tolerated, leaders are removing encampments and pushing other strict measures to address homelessness that would have been unheard of a few years ago. In Seattle, they got a new mayor who ran on a platform that called for action on encampments. In California, uh, the mayoral candidate Joe Buscayano, uh, he's introduced plans for a ballot measure to prohibit people from sleeping outdoors. Advocates for the homeless have denounced aggressive measures. The situation has affected businesses and events, with employers routinely asking officials to do more. Some are looking to move, while others already have, notably Oregon's largest annual golf tournament, the LPGA Tours Portland Classic, relocated from Portland due to safety concerns related to a nearby homeless encampment. Can you call it the Portland Classic if it's out of Portland? Probably not. Probably not. It's one of the things, there's a guy, uh, he wrote a book called San Francisco, and it's fairly new, um, Sh- Michael Schellenberger. He was progressive, working as a homeless advocate, activist, you know, doing all these like crisis work and that sort of stuff. And he came to the realization that the policies that are espoused by progressives are actually damaging and harmful to the people that they are supposed to be trying to help, but also to the society where they are enacted. And you would think like that's the proverbial floater in the punch bowl right there. You're going to tell San Francisco that, wait a minute, letting people sleep on the streets in their own feces and needles, like that's that's not humane? What? This is the this is my beef with the immigration issue as well. The people who supposedly position themselves as morally superior, holding the the ethical high ground in an argument, they're actually endangering people because of the permissiveness because of the refusal to enforce law because you're trying not to be cool man i'm just like you i'm the cool hip dad i'm the i'm the corporate exec with the skateboard in the office i'm a hipster i'm cool i'm just like you young child person no you're not you're supposed to be the adult and maybe maybe that's really what the will smith smack was about Maybe that's what it was. It was a reminder that not too long ago, my lifetime, men would smack other men. And it was a warning. I have the power. You will obey me. I'm in charge. I'm the parent. I'm the adult. I don't know. Maybe we need some more smacking. I don't know. It's just I'm, I'm just start thinking out loud. Just spitballing here. No bad ideas under the cone of creativity. Remember. All right. Brett Winterville's coming up next. Stay tuned. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.